We're looking at John chapter 6, verses 16 through 21. If you're following along, you open up your Bibles to that. So I have a question for you to start off. Has anyone had swimming lessons when they were young? Swimming lessons. See some head no, you're shaking your head no, no swimming lessons. Okay. Now I'm not talking about these baby swimming lessons that we have now in the controlled environment. I'm talking old school swimming lessons. And I think you know the old school swimming lessons I'm talking about. Yeah, oh yeah, you do. If there's any moment in my life when someone says, have you ever had butterflies in your stomach? It is this moment in my life where I automatically, as, even as I'm talking to you right now, my mind has gone back to me walking up the pavement to this foreboding high school building and my stomach was like eating itself. And there was, I just remember butterflies, this, that, that scared little nervous feeling because I did not want to learn how to swim. I had a fear of the water. And do you know why I was there? Because my mom was afraid of the water. So because my mom was deathly afraid of the water, and she never, sw- I, never I don't remember my mom swimming at all. So because she was afraid and she didn't want me to be afraid, follow the logic and there you go. You're going to take swimming lessons. So she sends me into this place and what I, what I realized, it was much, much more worse than I thought it was going to be. So there we are, we're, we're like a weekend and I started getting a little bit comfortable, but I had no idea who these people were. And my mom just left me there, so she leaves me alone. She's gone, here, have my child. But they kept you in the shallow end. You remember the shallow end, right? The safety of the shallow end. You could stand in the shallow end. You had that wall. You're teaching how to kick and teaching. You remember all those things. Then you had that little board. Love that board. You couldn't peel that board from my body. And then I'm like, okay, you know, this isn't so bad after a while. And then it happened. Oh, guess what we're going to do, folks? We're going to test out what you learned over in the deep end. And the deep end was like, no, you don't, you don't even talk about the deep end because of those two words. It's deep and your life ends. <laughs> it's just it. The deep end was like this mystical place that no one returned from. That's a picture of the pool that I learned to swim at, Ben Salem. It's really different, and the high dive that I'm going to be talking about is not there. And it was never that bright. It was really dark. For some reason, it was dark, and there was weird people there, and this guy all of a sudden wants to teach us, uh, to have us show us what we learned over at the deep end. So they took you up to the high dive, and they could raise the high dive, which was I just, it was terrible. They could raise it higher than the high dive, and they raised it really high. And you had a choice. You can either walk the plank willingly and jump into your death, or you can have a freak show behind you put you into the water to your death. So either way, I was like, I'm not going to let the freak show touch me. I had no idea who that person was, but they were ready. They were excited, but they were like, <laughs> just toss you off. And then, so I'm like, okay, and there's a guy, and he's like eight miles away, and he's waving. He's like, don't worry, I got you. And I'm thinking, can I run and jump out to that guy's face? Because if I can make that, I'm going to be okay. But the math didn't work out, and my legs weren't that strong. So But I decided to jump in, and it was like I had four 250-horsepower engines on my legs all of a sudden. And I swam to that guy. I had no idea who he was. I never met that guy in my life. I swam to him so fast, and I was safe. 
Jesus is about to do the same thing with his apostles. This is a literal shakedown cruise. Remember we talked about the shakedown cruise where they're testing? So Jesus is going to toss his disciples into the deep end, except this deep end is raging. There's a storm, there's wind, and there's waves. And Jesus is like, okay, I want to see what you have learned up until this point, and I want to show you something else about who I am and what I am capable of doing. What better way to do that than to toss his disciples into some raging waters? I see three phases in this passage that we're going to be looking at today. So the first, stage, the first phase is a purpose storm, verses 16 through 18. Now, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. After getting into a bowl, they just started to cross the sea to Capernaum. It had already become dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea began to be stirred up because a strong wind was blowing. Anyone hear the, the movie, The Perfect Storm? You ever see the movie or read the book? The Perfect Storm's about the Andrea Gale, when the Andrea Gale left Gloucester Harbor in Massachusetts on September 20th, 1991, headed for North Atlantic. No one again could have known that this fishing boat would never have been seen uh, again after that. Only a bit of debris ever turned up, and the six crew members vanished forever. There was a book written before the movie, author Sebastian Younger, and he immortalized the fate of this fishing vessel. However, the, the star of the book and the star of the movie was actually the storm itself. It was called the perfect storm for a reason. Three deadly elements came together in October of 1991. A front moving from Canada to New, toward New England and a high-pressure system that was building over Canada's east coast and also the dying remnants of a hurricane. So all these three conditions came together and created this perfect storm converging on the little Andrea Gale. The last radio transmission of Billy Tyne, the captain of that fishing boat, said this, she's coming on, boys, and she's coming on strong. And if you've seen the movie, you know what happens. Sometimes we find ourselves in a situation of a perfect storm. All the conditions are just right all converging on our little boat. And it becomes very, very difficult in our lives to navigate through that. And it's hard enough, it's hard enough when we maybe make a mistake or maybe we sin and we, we bring about some of those conditions ourselves. We can understand those conditions, right? But can you imagine facing such conditions when you are in obedience to Jesus Christ. Because that's exactly what happens with the disciples. Jesus throws them into a perfect storm. Except this is a literal storm. This isn't just a, a figurative life storm. This is a literal storm. And Jesus does this intentionally. We need to back up for a second and see what just happened. And then we also need to reference 
the other Gospels that talk about this storm. So in John, it doesn't tell us what Jesus does with the disciples. But in the Gospel of Mark, it actually tells us that he made them get into the boat. So what is going on here? Why is Jesus allowing this to happen? Or why is Jesus commanding this, commanding his disciples to get into this boat? A commentator once talks about these storms, and he says that God uses storms in our life for a variety of reasons. There are storms of correction, so this is when we're off course, and and God has to kind of be like, "Uh uh-uh, you know, or when we sin, and God disciplines us, and he, he brings us back. That's a storm of correction. Then there's a storm of perfection. Storm of perfection is just God allowing us to go through a trial so that we grow our faith in Jesus Christ. And that is exactly what is happening with the disciples. I would add that there's storms of connection that bring you in touch with other people and direction where it gets you on the right track, even though you're not doing anything bad. I want us to see here that when Jesus, he places them in that boat for a reason. What happened last week? When the people saw what Jesus did, they got all excited and they wanted to make him king. Now we're starting to see why Jesus places them in the boat. And he's teaching them a lesson about faith and about walking with him. They're all excited. Can you imagine the disciples? Hey, Jesus, look how popular you are. This is great. All these people want to make you king. Let's let's take advantage of this situation and Jesus is like, no, 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 no. I don't, want to, I don't want you to get caught up in this. I don't want you to be fooled by these people's, these individuals' superficial faith because Jesus is about to call them out on their faith next week. Why are they following Jesus? Because their bellies are filled. And Jesus doesn't want his disciples to be caught up in that. And secondly, Jesus wants to see if they learned anything from what just happened with the fishes and the loaves. So what does he do? He makes them get into this boat. I've said this time and time and time again. I'll continue to say this throughout this gospel series. Following Jesus Christ is not easy. Don't be fooled. Not easy. He's showing his disciples this. You think it's a popularity contest? You think it's going to be, oh, they're going to make me king? You think you're going to be popular and people are going to love you? When you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, don't get that wrong idea. Because next week when Jesus gives those individuals the truth about following him, what happens? They leave. They're gone. Oh, he's not going to feed us anymore. We're done. It's the mission of the church. He sends us into rough weather. And we're going to be doing the analogy, and it's picked up in the Old Testament a lot, that the, the oceans and the seas con- constantly are representative of the world. And the world tossing us and throwing everything it's got us. You don't want to take that too far, but it's definitely there. Following Jesus is fraught with some very wild weather, the type of weather that our disciples are facing right now. So the, seas, the location of the sea makes it, makes it subject to sudden and violent storms, As the wind comes over the eastern mountains and drops suddenly onto the sea, storms are especially likely 
When the east wind blows cool air over the warm air, that covers a sea. The cold air being heavier drops, and as the warm air rises, sudden this sudden change can produce furious storms on the Sea of Galilee. Ones, just like we are facing right now, and they come about in a really short amount of time. I know Mark Halfacre has gone into detail in his sermon, and it's, it's similar. It's the same thing that's happening. So that's the other thing, is that the disciples have been in this position before. This isn't new to them. But I want to see a few more things, is that Jesus makes them get in this boat. He, he pushes them. It actually, the word to made is to compel or to force. It's an absolute necessity. He says, get in this boat, and actually it seems to be against their will. They're like, no, Jesus, we want to stay here and hang out with all the popularity. We want to be here. Jesus is like, no. And what does he do? He sends them alone. And that's key. Makes them get in the boat, and he gives them a mission. Go ahead. Go to the other side. I'm going to meet you there. The reason why they are in this storm is because they are being obedient to Jesus' command. Should make us think. Following Jesus, obeying Jesus Christ is going to lead us right into the middle of terrible, terrible weather. What are you going to do? How would they avoid this storm? They can turn around. They can jump ship. They can forget about what Jesus told them to do. Again, Jesus places them in a situation that is beyond their capability. What is really funny about this situation is that, now, maybe the food, maybe these guys weren't chefs. So the food area, they were like, oh, okay, I, Jesus has this, but you put me in a boat. Do you think these guys thought they knew what they were doing? Absolutely. Is this an area where they are comfortable in? You better believe they are. So what is Jesus telling these guys? Hey, even in those areas you think you're real capable? Uh-uh. Without me, you're nothing. Where, where do we find the most pride in our life? Is it in areas that we're not good at? I'm not prideful in singing. That's because I stink. If I were good at singing, I would probably struggle with some pride. Now we start getting into preaching. Oh, okay, now we're talking, right? Because I'm so capable. And those are areas, right? That's what you start thinking. I got this. Jesus, you just sit right over there. I'm going to take this sermon by myself this week. And what happens is we get comfortable in those areas. And we forget the strength that we need and who is going to make us capable and who is going to bless those endeavors and who is going to bear fruit through us. Because later on, Jesus is going to say, look, abide in me because apart from me, you can do zip. Absolutely nothing. He places them in a situation where they think they're experts. And he makes them realize, uh-uh. You have another thing coming. Final thing I want to point out is that in the other Gospels, in Mark, it says, 647 through 48, it says, later that night, and this is the time when Jesus is about to come to them, the verse that we're going to pick up on here in a second. It says, later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. And he saw 
his disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. You see that sign? No lifeguard on duty. That sign does not exist for the Christian. Sometimes it seems like Jesus has left us alone, doesn't it? Left us alone to fight against the wild and wicked waves and the winds of this world. But all along, he is doing what? He's watching them. He sees them. And he's going to come to them when they need him. He's never, ever, ever taken his eyes off of you. He sees your struggle. And he's not going to let anything happen to you that is not in his purpose for you. That sign doesn't exist. We have to remember this storm is a literal storm for them. They could drown. Their boat could capsize. They could die. And that's to drive the point home of what Jesus is trying to say. This brings us to our next phase, a reassuring voice, verses 19 through 20. Then, when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near to the boat. And they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. So before we get down to the coming part, I want you to notice how long Jesus waits. It's pretty interesting because in the Gospel of Mark, it says that they're in the middle of the lake. John says three to four miles. Why, why the distance? Why is he telling us that? Well, if they're traveling, if we go back to that map, and if they're traveling, so I believe they're traveling from Bethsaida. I, I can go back to this. Let me try to get this map here. This is like the longest slide thing ever. Okay, if they're traveling from Bethsaida over to Capernaum, um, in Gospel Mark, it says to Bethsaida again, but that's just the Bethsaida of Galilee. The, the width of Galilee is about seven to eight miles. So three to four miles into their journey puts them where? Dead center, thank you. For a reason. <laughs> they are at the furthest point from land on both, <laughs> on both ends. And they're at their most vulnerable point. And Jesus does what? He waits until they are right there. And that is when he decides to come out to them. Are we kind of catching what Jesus is doing here? And sometimes we think we're like at our wit's end and we're going to break. He's watching you. And he's going to come to you and give you the help that you need at the right time. You just might have to wait for it. But he knows. He's coming. And he puts them in the middle. I just, I just find that kind of humorous but scary all at once. Because we want our storms. We want that trial. This is opposition. The disciples, so we can, we're going to generalize this principle. But specifically, this is opposition to his command, isn't it? They're straining. 
and they're not making any progress. And that is really, really key for the disciples to see. They're trying their hardest, and they're not getting anywhere. They're fighting against the wind and the waves. And they're trying to be what? Obedient to Jesus. And they're, and they're probably like mad at Jesus at this point. Like, Jesus, didn't you see the storm coming? These guys might have known that something might have happened. They might have been watching the weather. And they're thinking, why, why did you do this? <laughs> we're trying to obey you. And here we are, we're facing all of these things. So he waits. And he waits till they're in the middle. And the, there's wind, there's waves, and it's dark. So they have been doing this for quite some time. They probably should have made it by now. So there's wind, there's waves, and it's dark. Can anything get any worse? Yes, a ghost. Because that's exactly what they think they see. So now, now, now you're like, you know how bad it is. You know, you get a little scared, but you can admit it. People get scared in the dark. Right? And, the, and the, the storm's coming, and they're fighting this storm, and they're thinking they're already going to die, and now all of a sudden, they see a ghost. And you know, at this point, Peter's like, that's death. Death is coming to claim our lives. And Peter is just telling them, we're all going to die. This is it. This is the end. This is what it looks like. There is this phantom, and he's coming to kill us. And Peter's ready to jump in the water at this point, or he's cowering behind his friends because we know how brave Peter can be at times. And this is why later on, when, when Jesus comes to him and Peter's like, oh, okay, call me out. I was never afraid to begin with. And Peter goes from one extreme to the other. And all of these strong and courageous fishermen are now terrified little boys wanting their mommies. I want you to see that it is at this greatest point of fear that Jesus reveals himself. Greatest point of fear. When they think, that's it, we are done for, Jesus, is say, Jesus says, it's me. He makes his presence known. But before that, in the other Gospels, it says he was intending to do what? Pass by the boat. Why, Why is he going to do that? He wants to bring their attention to something. The very fact that he is walking on the very thing that is overcoming them. If Jesus does not walk on water here, literally, if, he is, if this is not a miracle, you and I, we're all drowning. I'm going to tell you that right now. Because if Jesus isn't who he says he is, and he's not able to do what he says he can do for you and me, we're dead. There's no hope. We can all go home. Because people don't think that Jesus walked on water. Matter of fact, this guy is one of them. He thinks Jesus surfed on a patch of ice. I'm not kidding. This is real scientific stuff, folks. This, is, this guy is an expert. So he says... That's the conclusion of the 2006 scientific article published in everyone's favorite bedtime reading item, the Journal of Paleolimnology, which is, I feel like that word is harder to say than to walk on water at this point. The article was titled, Is There Paleolimnological 
explanation for walking on water in the Sea of Galilee. Dr. Doran Knopf, an expert in oceanography and limnology, which is, anyone? Anyone? Limnology? I'll give you two bucks if you guess what limnology is. Uh, study of lakes. I didn't know that either. You would think it's the study of limbs. It's not. But uh, I had a hand up on that one, I guess. But Study of lakes. The co-author speculate the odd... So I want you to listen to these words here because they're pretty important. They speculate that it was an odd combination. Okay, so it's not normal. Now we're dealing with an odd combination of atmospheric conditions that may cause rare, so rare, not frequent, patches of floating ice on the Sea of Galilee. According to their calculations, the chances of this phenomenon happening are less than once every thousand years. It just so happens that it happens when Jesus needs a patch of ice. Not only that, they said that the ice is really hard to see. So Jesus has 20-20 vision at this point. And not only that, has anyone ever walked on wet ice? I have fishing. I didn't walk for long. I've been taken out numerous times because it's, it's so clear you can't see it on the rock. And I'll put my little foot up there and that's it. I'm done. You don't stand on ice. That, you don't, it just doesn't happen. So not only that, but Peter is able to also surf on this patch of random rare ice that only occurs once in a thousand years. What takes more faith here? I'm just going to go with the fact that Jesus is God and he walked on water. You, you've now done these, this crazy theory and this ice surfing analogy or whatever it is. It doesn't reveal really about Jesus. It reveals about this guy, doesn't it? Why do we do that? Because if Jesus does this, then we have to believe who he says he is. If he can walk on water, physical water, then we need to listen to what he's telling us. But Jesus does this for a reason. And it's not for his disciples to be able to walk on water. It's to prove that he can do it. The very thing that is overcoming them, the very thing that is stopping them, that is opposing them from getting to the other side, Jesus is like, I got this, I'm on top of it. And that's what he wants every single one of us to see. It does not matter what you are facing. It doesn't matter the trial. It doesn't matter the suffering. It doesn't matter the opposition. It is not too much for Jesus Christ to handle. He can walk on top of it. That's what he can do. And when Peter comes out to him, this is the part where Peter comes out to him. It's not Peter that can walk on water. It's because Peter's looking at the only one who can. And when Peter takes his eyes off of the only one who can, what happens to Peter? That's when he sinks. That's our Lord and Savior. He can take care of any storm that comes across our bow. Anything. He's capable. He's powerful. And he's greater than all of them. And he wants you to see that. He wants you to know, you trust in me 
There's absolutely nothing you can worry about. Nothing. I have you. And what does he do? He speaks to them. I want us to pick up that this reassuring voice, it comes in the midst of the storm. The storm hasn't died down yet, has it? It's still wind and waves, darkness. Folks, Jesus can stop that storm at any moment. But it's not the storm that we need to be focusing on. It's him. It's not the storm that matters. It's the one who's with us in it. And that's what he says to them. And notice he reveals his presence in a really gentle way. He doesn't chide them at this point. He doesn't say anything about their faith. He says what? It is I do not be afraid. I'm with you. I've been watching you. I've been here the whole time. I am not going to let anything happen to you that I have not ordained. You are in my hands. He doesn't calm the wind and the waves. He just tells them he's with them in it. That's all that matters. And as I said before, it is one of the most repeated commands in the Bible. Don't be afraid. This world is going to toss some things at us. Our lives are going to toss some things at us. People are going to toss some things at us. It doesn't matter. Because we have the one who can calm the storm at a word. That's what he does in the other story. He speaks to the storm. Calms the wind and the waves. They seem to maybe have forgotten that, but it doesn't say they were afraid of the storm, so maybe they, they grew a little bit from this. But as I said, this reassurance does not come from the, from the storm abating. It comes from knowing the one who is in it with us, the one who can walk on water, the one who created the heavens and the earth, the one who the seas and the winds obey. He's watching over us. And he says to each one of us, don't be afraid. It's me. Practical remark, one commentator says, has often been made that many of the things which now frighten Christians and fill them with anxiety would cease to frighten them if they would endeavor to see Christ in it all, ordering every providence, overruling everything, so that not a hair falls to the ground without Him. They are happy who can hear His voice in the thickest and darkest clouds, above the loudest winds and storms, saying, it is I, don't be afraid. One of my biggest fears growing up, I've revealed a lot of my childhood experiences right now, so here's another one. You know what I was afraid of? The dark. I hated the dark. I hated going to bed at night alone. Um, I have an overactive imagination. I hated scary things, still do. Hate evil. Don't like scary movies, don't like scary stories, nothing like that. And it didn't help that I had an older brother who one time hid under my bed. Guys, yeah. yeah, so you, you see why I am the way I am today? <laughs> there's a perp, there's a reason. So he hid under the bed, 
and waited till I fell, fell asleep practically. You know when you're just about to fall asleep? And he comes up, blah! And I'm just like, <laughs> I ran out my door so fast and I screamed so loud. He got in a lot of trouble for that. But forget it, I had PTSD for the rest of my life. This is my brother. He just scared me all the time. But there was, there was one thing that, that would always calm me down. You know what would calm me down when I was afraid at night and alone in my bed? I'd hear the voice of my parents talking. Hear them having conversation or watching TV. When I heard them, I knew they're not going to let anything happen to me. They're right there. It's going to be okay. It's the same with his voice, isn't it? At our greatest fear, we hear that voice. We know his voice. And he says, hey, don't worry. I got this. I'm with you. Brings us to our third and final phase. Safe landing. Verse 21. So, they were willing to receive him into the boat. And immediately, the boat was at the land to which they were going. Guy tells a story about flying across central Florida uh, with his friend in a private plane. He said, during my friend's 50 years of experience as a pilot, he flew all over the world and faced every possible condition. He said, on our return trip in the airplane, it began to shake and the engine started coughing and losing power. I was like, fun. I always tell people about testing faith, just go flying. And when people talk to me about faith and blind leaps of faith, I always ask them, have you ever checked the pilot's license before you board that aircraft? Nope. Because every time, right, that could be some freak show that's just like dressed up like a pilot that day, and now he's driving your plane. He has your life in your hands. So anyway, you want to test your faith, go flying. He says, as I looked down from the altitude of a few thousand feet, terror gripped me. He said, I felt an incredible urge to do something, but there was nothing I could do. I didn't know how to fly a plane. I had no experience in flying, landing, or fixing a plane. He said, I looked over at my friend at the controls. He was utterly calm as he adjusted the knobs and switches and continued to pilot the plane with all that turbulence. And then landed the plane safely. How many times in life we feel like we just want to take the wheel? <laughs> Instead of saying, Jesus, take the wheel, we take the wheel from Jesus. And we're like, we got this, and then we end up in a ditch somewhere, or crashing, or whatever it is. And instead, we need to yield that control to the only one who really has control. We fool ourselves thinking that we're in control. We fool ourselves thinking that we can get to where we are going without the help of Jesus Christ. That is exactly what happens here. His disciples were told to do something. They go out and they face opposition. Jesus comes and says, hey, I'm here to help. And then what happens? Jesus gets in the boat and the other gospels record it. The wind and the waves die down. Now, I'm not promising every time we face opposition in life and obedience to Jesus Christ that the wind and the waves are going to die down. That's not true. But 
He can walk on water to get us through those wind and the waves with us, can't he? He can stop it or he's going to just make sure we get there because he's the one who gave us that calling in the first place. He told them to go to the other side, so he's going to help them get there. And that's exactly what happens. And I think this is another miracle that we see here. And I think there's a couple miracles that happen throughout this event. The first miracle is Jesus walking on water. The second one is Peter walking on water. The third miracle is when the wind and waves calm down, when Jesus gets into the boat. So I guess we can say, with Jesus in your boat, it's going to be okay. As silly as that sounds, but that's kind of the application here. And then there's the miracle of them immediately arriving on land. So he, they, he gets them to the destination to where he told them to go in the first place. Key, key principle in life. If Jesus has called you to do something, there you go. He's going to get you there. It doesn't matter what you're called to. Whether you're a missionary or you're a stay-at-home mom, whether your life is adventurous and exciting or whether it's boring and dull, Jesus is going to get you there. He's going to make sure that which he has called you to do, you will be successful in his way. They're struggling. They were straining against the opposition. Jesus gets into the boat and they end up on dry land. Any opposition that we face as we follow him is under his control. It's under his command. If he doesn't calm the seas, he's going to carry us over them. And even though we can't see that end, he can. He knows where we're going. Now, I'm not sure if John intended this, but I think that we need to look at it. If, the, if, the, if that, those, that water represents this world and the opposition that we are going to face as we follow Jesus, in the end, ultimately, he's going to bring us to that heavenly shore. It doesn't matter. The storm can do whatever it wants to us. You and I are in his hands. And he's going to make sure we get to the place that he's called us to. The world's going to throw everything it can at us as we try to follow and obey him. It's going to try to drown us. It's going to try to blow us off the boat. It's going to try to scare us. It's dark. It's night, and sometimes we feel like we're all alone, but we're not. We can be certain that Jesus is going to see us through a storm. He promises, you trust in me, I am going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of you when you trust in me in your life calling, but I'm going to take care of you when you trust in me with your life. With your life. That you trust in me here on earth. I'm going to bring you to that heavenly shore. I absolutely promise. This world cannot hurt you. 
He sees you from a distance. He's watching over you. He's making sure you're okay. And when you need him, he is going to come to you. He is going to help you. And he's going to make sure you land safely. You know what happened after my, my lessons? I loved the water. As a matter of fact, I became a swim instructor, just not a weird one like those guys. I became a lifeguard, and then I actually joined the military to jump out of helicopters and dive into those stormy seas, even though I never got to do that. That's why I did it. All because of that event. Jesus wants his disciples to see something, not what they can do, not their ability to swim, but his ability to walk over and conquer any of the problems and opposition that they are going to face. The question is, do you and I believe that? Father, we thank you for Christ. And Lord, we so often find ourselves straining as they, the disciples were. Help us to remember what you wanted your disciples to learn. Help us to see Jesus' power over all the struggles and trials of life. Help us to see that he can calm anything that we face in an instant with a word, but mainly help us to see that he is with us. And because of that, we need not fear any storm that we face. Because he's with us now, we know that we will be with him later. Thank you and praise you. It's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen.